We're in the middle of talking about the community work that the Rebbe Maharaj did. In 1865, the Maharaj again traveled to Peterburg, this time to get rid of the Gzaitis that were being discussed in the Senate to make restrictions on where Yidin could live in Lita. And Baruch Hashem, his efforts were successful. In 1869, which is already a few years after he became Rebbe, he re-established a committee in the capital of Peterburg, right? Remember the Peterburg Vada that Tzamaq Sadek had? To find out what gazetas and things that were going on, that were being discussed among the ministers and officials. And this way, if there's ever anything uh, about the Yidin, he would be able to deal with it right away. Creating this Vad was easy because a lot of the people in it were just reappointed from the previous Vad, so it wasn't like he didn't have what to work with. Um, so at, at the same time he created this Vad, the Rebbe gave the Gabai, Pinchas Leib, a list of Hasidim with the instruction to tell each one of them that the Rebbe wanted to discuss something with him. And to each one, the Rebbe Maharash stated the amount of money he expected him to give towards this cause. From, from this guy, it was 2,000 ruble. From this guy, it was 3,000. This guy was 1,000, whatever it was. Um, although these sums were considered huge amounts at that time, the Hasidim obeyed. This is the Rebbe talking to them. And immediately gave the Rebbe whatever he requested. However, as we mentioned above, all of the Rebbe Maharash's work was done in total secrecy. So while we know that one of the members of this Vad was Reb Nochem Hermant, we're going to get to him later, most of them, we don't even know who was in the Vad because it was so secret. The Peterberg Vad that the Rebbe Maharash made. So it's understood that if we don't even know who the members are, we, don't even, we for sure don't even know what they were doing, right? So we, we have no record of almost anything. But as will be discussed later, the, the Rebbe's activities were all over the place. Um, and they were helping the Rebbe the whole time, the Petterberg Vad, giving him information and things like that. Moving on, very geschmack story. Whenever the Maharaj would travel, he would make a point of visiting different cities along the route where he was traveling. Um, obviously, never telling anyone who he was or who his father was. And even after he became Rebbe, he would go to some towns and say, who are you? Oh, I, I'm a yid from a town in White Russia. He wouldn't let anyone know who he was, that he was the Rebbe. Why? Because he wanted to see firsthand how Yidin are acting and, and, and what's going on with the Yidin in Russia. And if he lets everyone know who, that he's the Rebbe, you think everyone's going to be acting the same way or they're going to be acting differently? He wants to see what's really going on. So he didn't tell anyone. And, and beforehand as well, he just, he's just observing. I just want to see. I don't need anyone to know who I am. During one of his first trips that he went out of Lubavitch, the Marash visited the town called 
Bells. You ever heard of the bell? Bells are Hasidus, right? Now at that time, Bells was the hometown of the first Belzer Rebbe, a tremendous tzaddik, Harav Shalom Reikeach, who is known as the Sar Shalom, huge tzaddik. The, the Sar Shalom was the name of his sefer, so he was known as the Sar Shalom, just like the Tzemach Tzedek is known as the Tzemach Tzedek because he wrote a sefer called Tzemach Tzedek. And this goes on for many people. Anyways, the Maharash, he goes into the Belzer based Medrash, where he's greeted by a number of Yidin who asked him uh, who he is, where he come from. And he said, oh, I'm a businessman from Belarus, white, right, white Russia, which is not a lie. He is a businessman and he is from white Russia. He just left out all the other details. And he, didn't, he sits down in the back of the base medrash to just sit and learn and just look around a little bit, see what's going on with the people. And suddenly everyone stopped what they were doing and stood up with respect as their Rebbe, the Sar Shalom, comes into the base Medrash. And the Marash, of course, holy tzaddik, like, like, like the Sar Shalom, stands up respectfully. And as was usual in Hasidic communities, the Hasidim moved to the side, leaving a wide open area for the Rebbe to walk, together with his Gabbai. Now in Bells, the opening that they made for the Rebbe was even bigger than normal because the Sar Shalom in the last, this is already in the last few years of his life, his vision was getting worse and worse. He couldn't see so well. So he wanted to give even a bigger space just in case, you know, so he doesn't bump into anything. As soon as the Sar Shalom enters into, into the room, he, he pauses for, for, for a little bit in the, in the, right, right by the doorway. And then instead of walking directly toward the seat in front of the shul, he turns to the side and he starts walking alongside the back wall. And the Gabbai, his Gabbai, did not understand why the Sar Shalom was suddenly changing course. And, and the Gabbai tells him, uh, Rebbe, the way to your seat is in that direction. And the Sar Shalom was, I'm, I'm aware of where my seat is, thank you very much. However, today I must go this way. I smell like the smell of Gan Eden coming from over here. And the Chassidim right away, everyone's moving to the side. They weren't ready to move over to the side in the back of the room, but they... Of course, the Rebbe's coming. And even though he had very poor eyesight, the Sar Shalom went straight to the Rebbe Maharash and grabs his hand and he said, Younger man, younger man, from me you can't hide. Um, when when the Maharash actually got, we'll continue the story in a second, but just when the Maharash got back to Lubavitch, he told the story to his father, the Samasadek. He asked him, he said, Did you really think you could hide from him? Like, you really think he wouldn't know who you are? Anyways, moving on with the story, he takes the Maharash and he brings him all the way to the front of the shul. He says, You're not sitting in the back of the shul over here. You're going all the way to the front next to me. And the Chassidim who spoke to him earlier were like, he said he's a businessman from Belarus. Like, what? what? What's going on here? And, uh, and, and they, they, they were like, Rebbe, he, he said he's just a, a merchant, a businessman. And the Sar Shalom says, yes, yes, he's Taka, a merchant. And he's an outstanding one. But as we say in Simchas his merchandise, is better than all other types of merchandise. 
Meaning? Torah. In other words, he's not a merchant, but uh, you didn't ask him what he's selling. Right? His, his, merchant, his merchandise is Torah. Now, by most groups of Hasidim, the story's not over yet. There's a famous minug known as Sharayim. Sharayim is leftover. So let's say the Rebbe would take uh, a food from something and he would give out uh, to Hasidim the leftovers, whatever he's not eating. Mm-hmm. So the way it works is, let's say, the Rebbe would have a huge, massive challah and he would take a tiny, you know, enough, like a kezayis, and now everyone wants to eat from the challah that the Rebbe ate from. Right, so in, in Lubavish, though, we don't, we don't do Shiraim. We do other things similar, but not Shiraim. We don't never call it Shiraim. Um, so basically, you put a large tray of food in front of the Rebbe, and the Rebbe takes oh, a little piece of fish off, whatever, and the rest is, that's the rest of Shiraim. And this was the minute by the Sar Shalom as well. So that day, when the plate of food was put in front of the Sar Shalom, he moved it over so that it should be in front of the Maharash. And he asked him, could you give out the Shirayim? And the Marash said, no, it, it's not the usual minag in Chabad. It did, it did happen occasionally, Shirayim. Um, for example, we know the Alter Rebbe would give the Rebbe Avram, the doctor, the doctor in um, uh, uh, Liadi, I think it was, the leftover matzah that he would, they told him to crush it up and put it into medicines. Um, the Rebbe also would give uh, the Mezaynais left over by Fabrengans to different people. Anyways, so the Sar Shalom tells him, listen, I, I know it's not the Minna Chabad, today I would like you to do it anyways. As a, and as a reward for fulfilling my request, I will reveal to you a thousand explanations about the meaning and purpose of Shirayim. So, this is where the story ends in, Ch- in Chabad sources, right? In, in the Belzer sources, they have the same story. They said the Rebbe Marash once came and then it's happened with the Sar Shalom. So they say what happened was that the Sar Shalom Taka revealed to him 1,000 reasons about, about uh, Shirayim, but he did it all in a few minutes. So it's not clear, though, even from that source, that the Maharaj did give out the Shirayim. So we don't really know exactly what happened. So that ends the story. So on the one hand, we see from the story that he was unable to hide his greatness from great tzaddikim. However, we also see that a regular guy, they looked at the Maharaj as an ordinary Jew, who is just exactly, which, which is exactly what he wanted. He wasn't interested in drawing attention to himself, and he continued to do this throughout his life even when he became Rebbe, to hide his true identity when traveling. And this enabled him to, to mix with the regular people, the common people, to find out what's going on. Just a few more stories of how hard he worked to hide his greatness. So sometime after the Marash became involved in community affairs, the Tzemach Sedek instructed him to repeat his Maimarim in front of Hasidim and Lubavitch as well, just like the other brothers did. Now obviously, the Marash can't say no. You have to listen to your father. So, he says, I, he said, my father said I have to say it in front of Hasidim. He didn't say how many. Right? This is the way the Marash was thinking. So to solve the problem, he would invite his teacher, the Rashbats, Reb Shmuel Batsala, who we're going to get to later, the whole story how he became Lubavitch. 
he would call him into his room and he would say a mimer in front of him. <coughs> in front of him, Shmuel Batalo. And before saying, he would, he would, there, would be, there would be like an ashtray on the table and he would say, oh, this here is Reb so-and-so. And then he would point to a salt shaker. That's Reb so-and-so, right? And naming a whole bunch of chassidim. Uh, like like Mama, she would say, this one's Reb Yosef Tumarkin, Reb Isaac Hamler, Reb Peretz Chain, Reb Shneer, Zalman Fratkin, Reb Hill Parcher, right? All these uh, salt shakers, you know, hanging around over there. And uh, he would lock the door and he would review a mimer in their presence, the presence of all these great chassidim, uh, and fulfilling his father's directive that he should say chassidim in front of chassidim. Um, additionally, the Maharash didn't hide the fact that he regularly read newspapers and journals from both Russia and other countries. Um, something that, that in, at, at those days, I mean, even today, it's not so uh, acceptable. Nobody, it's, it's even back then, it, to read a Gaisha newspaper, it was like, schmutzik, how could you, right? But he would bedafka go and, 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 and do these things like this. Um, this is this. They said, your, your father is busy fighting that they want to avoid you from reading these things. And you, the son of the Rebbe, are going and reading these newspapers. Um, we don't know exactly how many languages he knew, but we do know for sure that besides for Russian, he knew German, French, Italian, and Latin. Um, now, although Latin is not a commonly spoken language, today it's considered what's called a dead language. Nobody speaks Latin. You could read Latin, like, like for example, ancient hieroglyphics. You could read it today, but nobody speaks it. Um, the Marash mastered it. Why did he master Latin? So he could read up on medicine for himself. And when he was, when he was Rebbe, he would, give him, he would prescribe prescriptions for himself, as well as for others. Uh, we don't know for how long he studied medicine, but this was another way that he was able to hide his greatness, right? It gave everyone the impression, oh, he's not concentrating in Torah as much as his brothers are. And we'll continue talking about this after Shabbos. Have a good Shabbos.